Hello, friends. It's Ariel Hawani of The Ringer MMA Show. I'm Chuck Mindenhall. And I'm Petey Carroll. And together, we are Three Pack. Follow and listen to The Ringer MMA feed exclusively on Spotify for all the latest the world of mixed martial arts and join us live on spotify green room after every big event see you then love yous Mwah. it's the ringer nba show presented by fanduel the road to the nba final starts now and fanduel is the best place to get in on the action right now you can check out the new and improved quick bets which are back and better than ever for the nba playoffs on fanduel Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. I am Justin Barrier, Rob Mahoney, the cat daddy, Big Waz is here. How's it feel to be a father? Um, It's amazing, honestly. Uh, we're taping this on Wednesday. I picked up Mimi from the shelter on Friday. I haven't had, that's a lie, um, in a previous relationship we had a dog, but that was her dog. Um, and then before that, I didn't have a pet since I was maybe six, five years old, mm. um, we also had a cat named Mimi. So I decided to name the cat in remembrance of Mimi. Rest in peace, Mimi. Um, she probably <laughs> died in some Brooklyn alleyway. Um, That's brutal. <laughs> that, that got pretty bleak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, the, the cat, like, um, man, and, and, and I'm not ashamed to put my mom on blast on the podcast, man. We got to be honest with the people. We came home and the cat had either pissed or like you know did his business everywhere or somehow messed up the house we had come back from some family party and my mom just put it out it was just like <laughs> all right you're homeless now and back in those days in new york like the the like straight cat population was like incredible right, right. so like that wasn't nothing it was just like all right back where you came from whence you came and uh yeah mimi was was out on the street so i'll never forget that day but yeah this cat will be with me for the next, you know, 15, 18, however many years uh, Mimi lives. That's what we like to hear. And in the meantime, I look forward to the letters from PETA about your mom's <laughs> cat treatment. <laughs> Mimi too. Better. New and improved. Um, Faster, better, stronger. 
better taken care of under Waz's care. All right. Well, congrats on being a father. Thank you. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the team. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, today, we're going to get into some all-star picks later in the episode because, believe it or not, that it happens... Uh, the starters are being announced on Thursday tomorrow when we're recording in the reserves the following week. You wouldn't know that because everybody gets their picks out pretty much on January 1st, but we're doing a little counter programming and doing it closer to the actual announcements. Uh, but first, we need to talk about some news burbling out there with two of the higher profile teams in the league, including two uh, people who played last night against each other, Lakers and the Nets. I want to start with with James Harden here because that seems like the the one that has more ripple effects or, or at least... Uh, long-term implications here. Um, so it seems like based on the reports out there that Philly has set its eyes on James Harden again. Daryl Morey is is beckoning him back to the bosom. Um, I guess was like, what do you think about the whole like pursuit of James Harden? Do you buy it? Do you think this is a solution to their Ben Simmons problem? Wait, beckoning back to the bosom? We're just going to let that fly by? <laughs> no good. <laughs> J- J- James Harden feeding on Daryl Morey's tit? That's, <laughs> that's an amazing visual. Um, yeah, that's no, going to be the art for, the, for this podcast post. Yeah. Look, what, what I would say is, like many things that we see in the media specifically... You know, it's a leverage play on the part of the Sixers with other teams. It's like, don't play with us with your weak-ass trade proposals. Shoot, we could wait this out till James Harden. We hear he's really sweet on us. We hear he's tired of Kyrie's diva, non-vaccinated ass. We hear he doesn't really like being in Brooklyn that much. We're hearing all kinds of things. We could wait you guys out, right? And I think that's the signal, especially, you know, with Daryl Morey being so let's say, media savvy mm. or just straight up having freaking friends in the media, you know, which I don't think is a crime. You know, uh, I, I'm not surprised when these kinds of things come out. I don't I don't know that it's anything more than the Sixers basically telling teams, you need to have a proper offer ready if you want Ben Simmons because we can get a superstar in the offseason, possibly, maybe, who knows? Yeah, I think the tell here is all of the intel that's coming out around the Sixers situation and Harden specifically, it both articulates the fact that the Sixers do genuinely, I think, want James Harden. They want to show James Harden their interest in this big public way. That's item one. Two, as Waz is saying, it helps their leverage by trying to extend this thing by telling these other teams and broadcasting to them that they need to be more serious in their offers. And item three, it's broadcasting to Ben Simmons that look, we're still willing to play a longer game with this, even though you've already sat out this many games. Like, that tic-tac-toe of all benefiting the Sixers, I think probably hints at where some of this information is coming from. Mm. I want to hit on that first part, though, because we could talk about, like, maybe some of the Sixers' other options, if this is indeed just a leverage play to get the Kings or the Hawks involved more. Um, would you, if you were Daryl Morey and you have Joel Embiid playing at an MVP level, and that's not even hyperbole anymore. I think he might be the front runner for MVP, if not in like the top two or three, especially after games like last night where he dropped 42 points and basically uh, just came back on uh, a spunky Pelicans team all of a sudden. Um, would you want James Harden going to be 33 years old next season, still struggling to find his way, particularly with the referees to the point where 
Uh, he was complaining about them the other day, still a couple months into the season. Would you want him, Rob, specifically to pair with a guy like Embiid? I mean, he's still pretty awesome. Mm. Yeah. Like he's he's still hanging triple doubles on teams. He's still dominating in one-on-one situations. Uh, certainly relative to what we saw earlier in the season. Like he just looks healthier. He looks more explosive. He looks more capable. I don't think he's the perfect fit. Mm-hmm. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, he's obviously a guy who needs the ball in his hands. But beyond that, he's a guy who teams don't even really guard to exactly. catch and shoot because mm. he doesn't want to catch and shoot. So when you kick out to him, if you're Joel Embiid kicking out to James Harden on one of your post-ups, James is going to catch it and jab step and then dribble and then do some stuff with the ball. If he were a little bit more willing to just catch and shoot, he's one of the best shooters in the NBA. He just takes incredibly difficult shots in part because he wants to take incredibly difficult shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then this isn't this isn't one of those things where you trade away all these pieces for somebody like, say, Anthony Davis, and he's like pretty complimentary to LeBron as far as a pick-and-roll finisher, as far as erasing defensive mistakes on the back end, being a switchable guy. Uh, even Like, just what LeBron does, AD seamlessly... Fits into that. I don't know that James Harden and Bede pick and roll becomes this immediately unstoppable force, right? Um, Because of Harden's dribble, 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 all of this kind of stuff. And then, you know, obviously he's a minus on defense. And the Simmons trade would not be a one-for-one. James mm-hmm. Harden is way better than Ben Simmons. 150 million thousand times better than Ben Simmons. And so, therefore, you might have to trade a Seth Curry. You might have to put in a Maxi. You might have to put in a Ty Bull. You might have to sacrifice some of your depth, which when you're trading for a superstar, you shouldn't be afraid of. But, like, at a certain point when your stars aren't complementary, right, and they're not erasing, you know, the need for high-quality uh, role players, that becomes an issue as well. I, I'm actually, I, and I said this on Bill's show yesterday, I don't think that's a ideal fit. I don't think that's a good fit, to be honest, um, Harden and Embiid together. I, I realize Daryl's philosophy has always been, get me my superstars and I'll figure out the rest. Uh, I don't know that that's the best fit. But, you know, again, if you're the Sixers and your choice is, <laughs> you know, toughing it out with Tobias Harris and... You know, whatever you get for Ben Simmons and all of that kind of stuff, I, I I understand the appeal of bringing in an MVP like James Harden. I worry about if if Harden isn't getting to the basket or isn't manufacturing free throws as often. Like, is that going to clog things up? Because he's that threat of not being able to get there is going to force him to take maybe more bad shots. I worry on defense because you probably want to switch more with a Harden, utilize his bulk a little bit more. But like Embiid's probably someone you don't want to switch with. And like Embiid and Harden is probably at his best with a Nick Claxton like vertical spacer. And while Embiid like like asserts his force on the entire court. I wouldn't necessarily say he's like a hopper, you know, Gerald Green style. So I'm I'm a little like iffy on it. On the other hand, I guess timing wise, if you're saying Embiid is ready to win MVP and Harden is still close to MVP level, you're paying for this window one to two seasons. But that could be, get dicey. And, and to Waz's point, I think if it is an uneasy fit, you need the guys around them to be better fits. And so it puts a lot of onus on Maury to figure out the guys around them. It's definitely trickier than you would think from one all-time guard scorer and one potentially all-time big man talent. 
You know, like the, it's just not as seamless as it could be. And Waz, I'm glad you brought up the pick and roll part of that and Harden's, you know, propensity to just dribble, dribble, dribble in terms of the execution to his great benefit. Like one of the best one-on-one creators yeah. and pick and roll creators ever. But big men typically are either guys who they either need the ball early on the roll or late on the roll, depending on their skill set, right? Like the Rudy Gobert types, the Clint Capella types, those guys are guys you get late with the lob. Those are the guys that Harden works well with. The ones you need to get the ball early to, like an Embiid, who part of his incredible value as a player is that you can get him the ball at the three-point line, at the free-throw line. He can throw some moves at guys, take one or two long strides, and draw a ton of fouls, get a lot of easy buckets that way. He's so mobile, and you want to take advantage of that in that specific way. That just doesn't seem super compatible to me in terms of what those two guys want to do. Yeah, and then another thing on the basketball side of this it's been said a lot, like James Harden, when he doesn't have the ball, doesn't really do anything. And so, and not even like on the spot, like just literally doesn't move, right? Yeah. And we remember the classic J.J. Redick, Joel Embiid two-man game, where like Joel possessed this ability to operate it from the elbow and like hit guys, you know, like, and, and that was part of some of the criticisms with his turnovers that he had tunnel vision and he's developed himself into a better passer. And you wonder would James Harden even do that? Like unlock those things again for Joel? Probably not. He hasn't been this kind of like off ball, like sort of, you know, read and react kind of guy. He's just been, give me the ball, set a screen, I'll find the creases in the defense. If they switch, I'll beat the guy in front of me. He's beating the guy in front of him at a less and less clip. You know, God bless. <laughs> Having said all that, though, I do wonder if playing with an Embiid and making those necessary tweaks, not necessary sacrifices, but tweaks to his approach is better than like going out there with Kessler Edwards and DeAndre Bembry and just rolling back like the early era Ryan Anderson Rockets and just doing the one-man show thing. Like It must suck to do what he does right now and to be right back into the situation where he has to do everything when on the one hand, maybe that's his preference, but on the other hand, like, you know, he's getting up there in age. It would be nice if Kyrie was there all the time to at least handle like half of the burden. I don't even know that his preference is to do everything so much as he wants to operate in space and there's minimal space. There's minimal guys on the floor who can threaten to shoot. It's, it's rough right now for the nets just in terms of the execution of their offense. Cause it's very much Harden and Patty Mills and offensive rebounds. That's kind of it. That's their whole engine. Yeah. Yeah. The, you could see it last night when Harden wasn't on the floor. F like, just forget about the concept of shot creation on this team without Kyrie. Um, and when Patty Mills is on the floor, the Lakers were just loading up on this dude. Ain't no <laughs> way. We ain't worried about nobody shooting the rock. Like, excuse me. There's one guy who's a threat from three for real. And then there's you. It was just so easy to guard. Um, this team without Kyrie and KD. But that being said, like, this is not the team, right? When KD's no. going to come back eventually. Kyrie obviously is doing his road games. Who knows if a resolution will come in the state of New York? You know, I told you guys we got a new black mayor. This guy is, he's, he's breaking <laughs> barriers. So he might restrict, you know, uh, he might, uh, you know, lower the, the COVID restrictions as far as uh, workplaces and all of that kind of stuff. So we'll see. I think this stuff is temporary, the frustrations that Harden is going through in Brooklyn. 
what might not be temporary though is if there's resentment built up during mm. this time. If every mm. time Harden checks in for work, he's thinking mm. on, at home, he's thinking in the back of his mind, why isn't Kyrie here? Like, why, why do I have to do this by myself oh, when, again, Patty Mills is the only offensive threat on the floor? And, and to that end, too, Patty Mills has turned out to be one of the most important signings, oh one of the most important additions of the season, but for totally different reasons than we thought. He's not the piece that puts this mega talented team over the top. Like, right now, he might be the only thing keeping the bottom from falling out for the Nets offense. I like how we're painting Harden as if he's about to join, like, the Reddit anti-work movement. <laughs> 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 it's too much. I can't do it. Um, but I, I do wonder if actually, if we're playing devil's advocate to this point, like I wonder if it almost works in the Nets' favor because I wonder if Harden gets a lot of the love and the reception, perhaps, for doing all of the hard work while KD is out and while Irving is like on this weird sojourn he's on. Um, like he is putting, he he's the one holding down the fort at home essentially. And I do wonder if there's a renewed appreciation for him uh, day by day, game by game without Kyrie happening. And I, I wonder if that solves things. Like maybe that like, maybe that's enough to make him feel good about the situation. Look, I, I, I think the playoffs happened last year. Kyrie was out again. Um, Harden was limited by injury. You know, he was nursing the hammy. And they couldn't beat the Bucks, right? Like, I think Harden understands, like, no, we, we kind of need all of us here and hoping to win. We lost last year without Kyrie, and I was limited. Like, I think he knows that they need all three of their big guys. The team is built based on the concept that they have three incredible players. You take out one aspect of that concept— it's no longer the concept, right? Mm. Like, they didn't build the kind of team that was like, all right, a whole slew of competent role players around these two stars. Or No, it's three stars, and we figure everything out. Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Blake Griffin's broke down body, whatever, right? Um, but that's not what's happening right now. And I think Harden understands this ain't going to get it done. Not when it matters. Mm. Do you like any of these other options that have been kind of coming to the fore over the past couple of days, weeks? I mean, it, we talked about the Kings in the past. I guess the Hawks are the new-ish one. Um, that one seems a little complicated because I don't know if John Collins or whomever they're going to send to Philly in that deal construction really fits Daryl Morey's preferences, his, his big top 40 list uh, that he needs to check off. But they're kind of the hot teams at the moment. Are, do any of those situations, Rob, get you excited? Or at the very least, do they push you to finally come to a conclusion on the Ben Simmons situation? Not terribly. And, yeah. and some of it is what Daryl has talked about on the radio himself, which is the things that are plaguing the Sixers right now are primarily rebounding and defense. Like, that's what they need. Playmaking would be great. It'd be great to have another, another creator, another you know, uh, supplementary pick-and-roll guy. That would be nice. They need defense. They need rebounding. Neither one of those is exactly John Collins' strong suit. Mm. And when you're committing to another big who doesn't do either of those things at a really high level, I don't know that you're really moving the needle that much, even if you're picking up you know, another shooter in that deal or another potential starter or another guy to come off the bench. All that would be nice. All of that's nicer than not having Ben Simmons this season, for sure. Like You're getting guys to plug in, but you're not really solving the fundamental problems. Yeah, I, I don't think John Collins is the type of defender 
that solves Trey Young and Cam Reddish perimeter defense, <laughs> right? But I think on the Sixers, he would be incredible next to Joel, right? Um, on the defensive side, when you do have, and you know, Tybal isn't like your traditional shut down the point of attack kind of guy, but like they have guys at the point of attack who can do credible jobs, um, if not elite. And I think Collins would be really good because, you know, he is pretty switchable. I think he can be a good a good enough rebounder. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm in the bag for John Collins, just what I watched him do in the playoffs and what I think he has the potential to do in the right situation. Um, but I don't think the Sixers, I think they have, you know, they, 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 they have delusions of grandeur. I, I don't think John Collins is the type of cat, especially at his, at his sticker price that, that they, they envision bringing in. I'm, I'm still thinking, man, it's Sacramento, man. They're going to get De'Aaron Fox in there, you know, keep the, the basically like, all right, De'Aaron Fox is still, he's still going to be a sexy pedigree type of guy, that could still be moved if we don't like what we get from it. Um, and I still think that's the deal that makes the most sense. Let me throw this out there because the Hawks are also rumored to be in pursuit of Jeremy Grant, like seven other teams that need just like a stopper on the wing. Um, what if in, in the construction, I think would be a Collins for Grant sort of situation. Cause it seems like Damn. increasingly Collins wants a change of scenery or maybe, the Hawks just want to shake things up enough and he's like the most likely person to do it with. What if the Sixers actually went to the Pistons and got Jeremy Grant for a collection of like, let's say a Thibel, a Maxi picks and use Grant as their Ben Simmons for this season and use Ben Simmons eventually to trade for a guard like a Harden, like a Lillard, whoever, Fox maybe down the line, maybe do both deals at the same time. So it's Fox and Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant coming home, baby, uh, to play with uh, Joel Embiid. I kind of like that if you retain enough pieces on the wing in order to maintain shooting and defense. No? I think I think the hang-up there is that there's been significant suggestion that Thibel and Maxi have held up make like major deals that the Sixers could have made. They were the sticking point that the Sixers did not want to give up for potential star players. Are they really going to give up one or both of those guys to get Jeremy Grant? I hear what you're saying. Right. Because was it Maxi they didn't want to include reportedly in the deal for James Harden originally from Houston? Yeah. I could see that. I mean, um, where are we on Maxi though? Like, I think he's good and could develop into something pretty good. But like, you know, he's had iffy moments. I don't think he's ready to to compete for a title and be a starter on a title team right now. Look, um, Maxi held up a Kyle Lowry deal last year. That's ridiculous. Mm. I think we can all agree that was ridiculous. That was legitimately a fuck up if the reporting is to be believed, right? Like, Look at what Kyle Lowry has done in Miami with the type of players that he's done it with when you consider the major injuries to Bam and Jimmy over there. These guys are at the top of the conference still because of Kyle Lowry. And Therese Maxey held up a deal. And again, and it's not even just this year. Last year, the Bucks were ripe for the taking. Right for the picking, excuse me. 
you know, um, you name it. Everybody was right for the picking. They could have won that damn title last year with a Kyle Lowry. So, yeah, the Maxi thing, I think he's become, you know, especially where he got taken to be this early show that he's clearly an NBA rotation, borderline starting point guard type of cat. That's amazing. That's awesome. Is he the type of cat that is like, we're turning this dude into Roddy Bobois part two, <laughs> damn near. Untouchable, untrade. It's like, come on, let's get some, you know, let's get some difference makers, game changers in here. Let's try to win a damn championship with Joel Embiid, who's playing at a big man level we haven't seen since what? Oh, one Shaq? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's get it together. Well, but there's two different conversations here. There's, do you give up Tyrese Maxey for someone like Lowry, who would be a perfect fit, a great culture setter, really would have taken them to another level? And do you give him up for someone like De'Aaron Fox, who I'm not so sure that he's, Fox is a significant upgrade over Tyrese Maxey and where he is. he is right now. I think he is. I, but At again, least in I'm the a, context of a point apologies. guard next to, but next to Joel Embiid, sure. do you think he That's is? Fair. Like, yeah. Maxi Maxie's shooting 41% from three this season. He's doing the things that they need him to do. I'm not sure Fox can do a lot of those things. Listen, Embiid is running the break now, man. Him and Fox in the open court. <laughs> <laughs> Who even needs point guards if, if Joel Embiid's running the break, though? I know. I mean, I, I credit Daryl, though, like because he is factoring in the long term and not just pushing everything into the table. Uh, to just make this one year, the next two years work. Uh, Maxi is the prime example of that. And so I, don't, I guess the the counter to that would be like Fox is young enough. And if you believe that he's enough of a distressed asset, if there's enough upside there that isn't tapped into in uh, the Sacramento system, which has produced so many all-stars out of there, uh, then then maybe it makes a little more sense. Yeah, he's 24 years old. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue, a surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland, watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. 
All right, let's flip to the other side of last night's game uh, because Anthony Davis back, not better than ever, unfortunately. Um, meager returns offensively, but you can start to see the signs of him impacting the defense. Um, I guess quickly before we turn to the the chaos brewing uh, amidst all of this joyous return, like Anthony Davis back, do you feel any more hopeful about the Lakers, Rob? Well, yeah, they're better with one of the best players in the league. That's for sure. <laughs> sure. For for as much as we've talked about their offense and the issues there and all the fit problems, having AD back just changes the complexion of a lot of what they do defensively. And you could see it in this game where they didn't play Dwight Howard at all. They just played AD and LeBron and Stanley Johnson at center. And that totally changed how they could guard pick and roll. You know, that that's a huge deal for them that AD is the guy switching onto Harden. And Harden is still going to get his, but it's what allows you to limit all those other guys, to play all those other shooters the way you do when you have someone solid on the ball, you know, an all-NBA-level defender who can switch into those situations. So that's a big deal, even when he's in game one coming back off an MCL sprain. Yeah, and they were doing a lot of this scramble stuff where, you know, LeBron or whoever's guarding you in the perimeter sort of funnels you into a spot and they trust that you're not going to make the the right read on the back line or on the kickout. Um, and it was working against the Nets because it was like James Johnson and a bunch of cats who were like, wait, hold on. What do I, wait, hold on. That's AD right there. What's, what are we supposed to do? So like... Godzilla. Just, yeah. <laughs> just were there. They forced so many turnovers yesterday. And again, no Kyrie, no KD. These are elite on-ball, you know, playmaking, decision makers, defensive dissectors. We get that. But they were able to, to turn this team over, something they just were not doing without AD. Okay? <laughs> like, they were not doing against even the worst teams in the NBA. And for me, the AD thing is two things. One, immediately they're way better on defense, which has to be the case. Um, and two, I think now what they have to do is start work Offensively, they have to start working through AD and getting buckets through AD looks, right? Like, whether it's, you know, finding him different pick-and-roll partners that aren't LeBron, two-man game type of stuff. Um, you know, just just different AD-centric offense so that it's not so heavily, um, you know, beholden to LeBron being an all-world player. That's what Vogel got to do now. But I think offensively, they'll be fine to figure it out. I, I just think defensively, they got to figure out a way to at least just play, like, average defense, man, which you should be able to do with Anthony Davis on your team playing full-time. Yeah, I'm not as worried about the defense, especially because some of the maneuvers they've made, Stanley Johnson being the primary one, seems to be to fix the defensive side of the ball. And it seems like their plan is to just be a good enough defense and just let LeBron run rampage like through every team in the league because he's not only on this kind of miraculous run he's on at age 37 years old, but he's also talking about how he needs to be on this run and how he needs to do everything he can on the court in order to because, yeah, you're right. It is true. Is and true. I'm just, it's concerning because in order to get those defensive players, like I'm looking around and I know it's the first game with AD back. They're probably going to be way better by next week and two weeks from now. Um, but like you're adding another non-shooter and we're at the point where LeBron James is probably the best three-point shooter, at least the most willing. I guess Avery Bradley starts and at one point he had some shooting to his game, maybe back in Boston. But like, 
I it, I don't know. It's it's like they don't. They're like playing Westbrook, AD, and Avery Be- Bradley. That does that, those lineup permutations. We need to stop that Vogel. And even stop. AD is like shooting seventeen percent from three. Like maybe that bounces right. back after his recovery. But like this is a very gross offense that LeBron is like basically just m- like manufacturing into something decent. But boy, is he. I mean, he's been... (laughs) I guess that's the point. He's been incredible. And there were so many baskets in in that game that were just like totally humbling to the Kessler Edwards of the world, who is a big wing, who's doing everything he can, and LeBron just hits turnarounds over him so, so easily. You could see how the Lakers would talk them into, or talk themselves into, oh, but what if we just put the ball in the hands of one of the best players in basketball history and and see if it might work? But... I do think we're on, to, to Waz's point, rotation watch for the Lakers for the rest of the year. What are they going to do with these player combinations to make it work, to maximize these guys? Because we've already seen, as I mentioned, Dwight was out of the rotation for this game. Is that a longer trend, or is that something against kind of a small ball team in the Nets? Trevor Reza was out of the rotation for this game. I think that's important because he's one of those guys who is technically a shooter, but treated very much like a non-shooter. So the more they can trim those guys from the rotation, the better. The more they can try to get some more threatening players on the floor, the better. Um, Especially if they're going to have AD and Stanley Johnson and Avery Bradley and Russell Westbrook. Like you gotta, you gotta get some spacing around those guys to the best, uh, the best you can. Yeah, and and Melo and Malik Monk, which is just absurd that Melo's being counted on to this degree. But the thing about Melo is that like, because teams know. He's going to shoot. <laughs> like, they guard him. You know, like, they guard him. He actually does have gravity and has spacing and provides, you know, some some pressure release, right? Like, as a release valve for that offense that's so sorely lacking in it. But it's really just him and Monk. Like, and Monk has come on as a guy who's just like, I'm, I'm shooting. It's green light season, over here for Monk. So those two things are encouraging to see. But again, like, it's it's really going to be put... This offense is going to, like, as far as, like, any level of continuity type of stuff that doesn't look like it's just ground and pound and just nasty 1990s, or excuse me, early 2000s hooping, um, it's just going to be predicated on LeBron just getting this shit done. Yeah, Melo kind of looks at times like the Dan Marley of the team where it's like 90s style basketball where everyone is like 6'10 and then you had one designated shooter who shoots like two threes a game. <laughs> like that is essentially what Melo's become, but I, I guess more power to him. He does like shoot with confidence. I'll say that. But does Malik Monk have the best job in the NBA? It's a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah. Get open. So LeBron James can throw you accurate ass passes. And man, it was yo... There were times yesterday where, like, literally, I know it's been said, but Russ was making me sad. Mm. Oh, my goodness. He just looks so, like, he like he airballed the one three, and I don't even <laughs> think it was a pull-up. No, it was a pull-up. But he just completely whiffed on it, and I was just like, whoa. Oh, the passes are so inaccurate. Just passes at guys' knees, passes that don't even get there. I'm just like, oh. Well, Sorry. to that point. I, let's talk about Russ because he is yet again in, in the news here. Um, basically, I think everyone knows the saga at this point, the newest, not even chapters, but uh, half-step progress here. Uh, ESPN has a story where basically Vogel is fine for now. 
<laughs> for the time being, at least, was the, the specific verbiage, which, uh, you know, a lot of confidence there until the Rambai get involved and all of a sudden they change coaches and they're playing four centers at a time. Um, but I think it basically like pointed to how difficult it would be to actually change the situation just given Russell Westbrook's performance and his contract. The lone, I guess, option, it seems like, would be to once again trade Russell Westbrook for John Wall. The reports indicate that in order to do so, the Rockets would want a first-round pick, which I believe is so far in the distance that it could be particularly interesting because if this is like a 2027 Lakers pick, there's a chance that we're back into D'Angelo Russell, uh, Swaggy P era Lakers. And, and this is like a top five pick. Um, but I guess the, the essential question is, would you do that if you're the Lakers is a wall for Russ swap enough of an upgrade in air quotes in order to get rid of Russ? I'm a little concerned that if they get traded for each other again, it's going to be a time loop situation. Like we're just going to reset. We're going to go through the vortex. Who's I'm not the Bruce Willis here in the looper situation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't know what the point of that deal is for a guy who's not even been allowed to play. You know, um, I, what, what, what are you doing that deal based off of? Is it so like, if it's so toxic at the workplace, you know, in the locker room with Russ, where everybody's hating him, he's not talking to anybody and it's a problem then, yeah, maybe you think about, you know, just trying to wipe your hands of this. But outside of that, what is what is the proof that we have that John Wall can be a better player than Russell Westbrook? We haven't even seen it. Like, Houston, you got to put that... If you want a first-round pick <laughs> for me to take that dude off of your hands, you better put that on, on, on tape. We need to see this guy actually play and do something on a basketball court. If you're going to be asking folks for first-round picks, that's ridiculous. The, the number one reason that trade will not happen is that it would be an admission by Rob Polinka that he made a catastrophic mistake. Mm -hmm. And that just never happens. Like general managers, people who are in basketball operations, the reason they ride with the guys they draft, the reason they ride with the guys they trade for is because they're not willing to publicly admit those kinds of things. Mm. And so to trade for a guy who, as we've been talking about, has not been playing NBA basketball. I mean, that would be as as loud an admission as you could possibly make. The theory would be that Wall is a less offensive version of Westbrook at this point. Like, he probably doesn't play defense at the level he did at, in his prime, considering his injuries and the fact that he hasn't done anything in half a season. But maybe he's a little bit better on offense. And maybe he gets out on the break and, like, is able to do enough with LeBron off the floor for the 10 to 15 minutes that they can actually stomach that these days in order to like get AD involved a little bit more. And like, he's not much of a shooter like Russ, but maybe he's hitting one three pointer game as opposed to going Oh, for four, you know, like he's basically just like the less brutal version of Russ. Saddest, this, is the saddest, <laughs> this is the saddest trade pitch for two, involving two multi-time all-stars, decorated NBA guys that I've ever heard in my life. Like, you know, I'm I'm somebody who again, I'm a big John Wall fan over the years, right? Especially when he was at his 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 physical peak when, you know, he was a guy meeting dudes at the rim, blocking shots like an on-ball just menace, you know, leading the league in corner threes generated from assists like he was such a dope player 
to watch when his body was right. And, and I do think, at the very least, when it comes to pick and roll operation and like just basic placing a pass where dude can catch it and score, he'll be better at that. <laughs> you know, I don't know that he has more one-on-one juice than Russ has now, even though Russ, like, it's sometimes, like, it looks funny coming out of his, his layups look funny coming out of his hands now. You're talking yourself just, into it. <laughs> no, 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 I can't, I can't. The John Wall thing, I I, I just can't, and, and I love John Wall, it's just, I haven't seen, like, they have to play him first. You got to show me, man. Like, put a two-week stretch of John Wall going out there being an obvious NBA point guard. Maybe he's like the 20th best starting point guard in the NBA, 25th best. Show me him doing that, and all right, maybe I'll buy this. But, like, right now, I feel like John Wall is a 12-minute-a-game guy. Let me ask you this. What if it's not a first-round pick? What if it's a THT? Oh. And you're just getting something. <laughs> yeah, Get THC out of my building. (laughs) (laughs) Because my other offer was going to be, let's just do it straight up. And if you're the Rockets, you've been given assurances that Westbrook will commit to a buyout, which John Wall wouldn't. So you're getting him out of your building and you're saving some money because that's probably where we're going to end up somewhere in this range because the initial offer isn't going to be the same thing as their final offer at the deadline, right? But I think the Rockets are still hoping that there will be another taker for John Wall when there's less time left on his contract. Like, like we roll into the year. summer. Yeah, somebody doesn't have a point guard in the offseason and wants to take a swing because they have other star players and want, you know, want a flashy name to, to work alongside those guys. I think that's the option they're playing for. And the idea of, you know, if, if you're the Rockets, if you're Tillman Fertitta of paying Russell Westbrook slightly less money to go away, I don't think it's consistent with the way that franchise has operated. I haven't looked at the books of some of his like local casinos or whatever his businesses are. So I don't, I don't know, but maybe I, I will say this. Mostly restaurants. He's, he's a hotelier. He's a restaurateur. Come on, Justin, get it together. Great. Yeah. It's probably a bunch of like great chilies. butter, great <laughs> butter cake at Mastro's. Anybody who's ever able to go there, please do yourself a favor and order that butter cake. I'll just say that I'm looking at John Wall's basketball reference play and under his like lost 2019-20 season. You know how it usually says like did not play injury dash whatever? His is injury dash left heel Achilles infection, <laughs> which is like <laughs> I forgot how yeah. brutal that situation is. Um all right, let's pivot now to All-Stars. We're running a little behind here. So let's just do the starters. Um we're going to focus entirely on the debates uh, the, the, where we don't agree, essentially, because there is a lot of agreement on these all-star uh, ballots here. Let's start in the East. I believe we all had in the front court Kevin Durant, Giannis, Joel Embiid. Unanimous. Right? Yeah. Unanimous. Those are those three guys are all MVP front runners, as well as Jokic and Steph, probably. Um, they've been... I mean, I think KD's been the best player in the conference um, when he's played. And, like, come on, Joel, not far behind. Giannis, obviously. Like, these guys, they're killing people, of course. I appreciate all three of those guys for making it incredibly easy. Just chalk, (laughs) bing, bang, boom, let's move on. Great. And we'll we'll do the same uh, talking about them. Let's move to the backcourt now, which Waz and I agree on both players. Rob, you have two completely different players, I believe. Actually, no, you have one different player Waz and I have DeMar DeRozan and Trey Young you have Trey Young and And Zach Levine Levine. so DeMar DeRozan doesn't play guard (laughs) like I don't I don't know what to tell you he's not a guard 
The problem is on the all-star ballots, he is a guard. Well, you filled out your own like professional official all-star ballot. What was he eligible for? He was technically eligible for guard in the way that Nikola Jokic was eligible and Joel Embiid were eligible for forward last season for all NBA. Like that doesn't make it true. I'm not as stringent about all-star because honestly, once we get to the reserves, you're basically like, who is less offensive? (laughs) Like who is like above average enough to fit into this last wild card spot? So here's, here's the thing, right? DeRozan does, does not guard guards for the Bulls. But in my mind's eye, because I'm washed, when I think <laughs> That's of That's what we're guard, working with, your mind's eye? Yeah, when I, when I think of a guard, it's a 6'5 dude who always has the ball in his hands. That's not a guard? I don't know what to tell people. Like, you know, like, like look, if, if we could do this in the reverse, where Caruso never does anything with the ball in his hands. Yeah. Does that, that doesn't take away from his guardness? I feel like it should. If we're going to do it on defense... Right? Like, I feel like that should take away from how guardy you are if you never touch the damn ball. I don't know what to tell you other than the fact that the Bulls fill out a piece of paper before every game telling us DeMar DeRozan <laughs> is a front court player. Yeah, he's a power he's played, player. He's played zero guard minutes by lineup this season. Like, I, I don't know what more to do with that other than the— and, and it, it really is complicated by the fact that when you get to the reserves— him being a guard instead of a forward creates problems. Like there are, I think there are lots of good guards this year and it, it creates a lot of situations where you have to pick and choose for the wild yeah. card spots. Yeah. How am I going to manage this? Because one of these guys is playing the wrong position by ballot. Also, it's all kind of irrelevant because Kevin Durant is going to be injured and DeMar DeRozan would get his place anyway. Sure. Sure. So well, I'm, I'm not too hung up on it uh, beyond the exercise itself, which, look, I, I respect what the NBA is trying to do, and I'm trying to follow the rules by voting guards as guards. I'll also <laughs> point out that Levine has played small forward for a majority of the season. So if we're being really technical sure. about this, like, shouldn't he be a forward as well? He's at least played some guard. <sighs> <laughs> so basically, you don't... if. DeRozan was allowed to be a guard and like you didn't have this hang up about it. You have no problem of voting DeRozan over Levine. This is purely semantics. Yeah. DeRozan has been better than Zach Levine this season. He just doesn't play the position that would allow him to be a starter. It's unfortunate. The fa- you know the, the fans are going to vote him anyway. The players are going to vote him anyway. What I think is ultimately pretty irrelevant. I just don't think by the letter of what the NBA has laid out here, it should fly. I saw this on paper and I was like, oh, this is going to be a really interesting debate. Like, Rob, like, values Levine's stretchability yeah, I more. Where he was going. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe he's going with, like, nah, like a three-level score and Levine has picked <laughs> up his defense and blah, blah, blah. He's just going straight um, no. stickler for the books. Uh, but, like, let me ask you something. If, like, DeMar DeRozan retired tomorrow, let's, I know we have to consider this season, but let's just say he did. Yeah. Would he retire as a forward or a guard? What are they going to put him in the Hall of Fame as? A guard or a forward? <laughs> yeah, like, guard, he's, guard forward. Swing man. I, think, I, <laughs> like, I don't think people see him as Braun, KD, Paul George. Like, uh, you know, these forwards. <laughs> like, he's a guard. I always, like, that's why I'm just like, I, you know, I understand that. They've been they 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 have not they've kept them as far away from perimeter defense as humanly possible, which is great strategy. Shouts yep. to Billy Donovan. He's 
you know what? I want to take the time to apologize to Billy Donovan because I ain't oh, wow. never give that man no respect as a coach. But this is the first season that he's actually like been allowed to coach. Cause like you got to think about it. It was like Westbrook and KD, then Westbrook, which like you're not coaching, and then Chris Paul, which is just like you're not coaching. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like he's gotten a chance to coach and he's done an amazing job. So I just wanted to say that. But he's like, gonna need to now because he has like two starters left. Yeah, but. that's which is a bummer. But yeah. like I feel like Demar Derozan is a guard. Like I get that he's not guarding perimeter dudes, but he's never been some. Forward, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just stupid in that way. Not to turn this into a, a Rob Mahoney blog post from like 2009, but I don't think positions matter. Like why? Why yeah, can't they we just don't. Put the top five Thanks. players? This is the thing. I am the furthest from dogmatic about positions, <laughs> but the the NBA has told us pick players by front court or back court. I'm trying to honor their wishes gotcha. as best I can, and right. I think DeRozan is a front court player in the same way that like. Paul Pierce became a power forward over the course of his career. Sure. That Paul Paul George is increasingly not a shooting guard. He's much mm. more of a three and sometimes a four uh, for the Clippers. I just think that's the way a lot of these guys' careers go as they get deeper into it. And the Bulls explicitly play him at power forward. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, we could also get into how a Paul George three is essentially like no different than a two because like you're just using wings at that point. But that's a whole other story. Um, well, let's talk about the the other guard spot quickly because we all picked Trey Young, which I think is a bit of a zag from what I've seen out there. I think some is people it? have James Harden. Yeah, I saw Ben Golliver had, oh. had Harden. Um, perhaps because of the recent burden he's had to go through. I mean, the, the statistical yeah. resume is pretty unimpeachable, just the raw data. Although I will say Harden's efficiency is pretty putrid. He's shooting 40, 41% from the floor, um, 34% from three, which is pretty bad considering the volume he has. Um, did you guys consider either a Levine or a Harden or somebody else was for that last guard spot? Nah, because Trey Young, that off that that team is... Top five offense. You could go look at the on-off mesh um, metrics because of Trey Young. Period. He is carrying. He is the reason a unit is elite. And this, like, and look, it's not like that. He's surrounded by just garbage offensive players. No, he has pretty good offensive players around him. But the reason why they are elite is because Trey Young. It's not because... Because if you take John Collins out of those minutes and you plug in some other guy and you keep everything the same, the offense is going to still churn. You can say that up and down that lineup. Replace all of them and with some average replacement and keep everything the same, it's going to be incredible and it's going to be because Trey Young is doing that. So, like, we violated, we disrespected him by putting some bonus in that damn All-Star game... Above Trey Young, which was just disgusting on the voters' part. Um, we're not doing it again. As a matter of fact, we put him in as a starter. Trey Young, obvious he starter at the guard position. I'm looking forward to the supercut at the end of the season of all the Sabonis name drops from Waz Rance this season. <laughs> but the on-off numbers that Waz mentioned, the Hawks are 13.9 points per 100 possessions better offensively with Trey Young on the floor. To me, it wasn't that close between him and Levine, him and these other candidates. I just think he is so exemplary in what he does. And there's such an element of like, what else is he supposed to do? I guess, you know, he could be better defensively. Absolutely. (laughs) Certainly. But within the capacity and the purview of his job, I think he's 
almost as good as it gets offensively in terms of running a show, creating at a super high level, really visionary playmaking. Trey Young is awesome. 46, 38, 90. I just think like he's he's been the best version of himself this year where he's not only just passing it at an elite level, which is something that he's been doing pretty steadily since his rookie season, but like the shooting has come along and you're seeing the complete package. He easily could have been like sidetracked by the foul drawing rules, but instead he's been the most efficient version he's ever been. So yeah, I agree. I think he should be in the backcourt. I do want to mention, we're not going to talk about East Reserves right now, but Demonis Sabonis, really good case. <laughs> I'll just say that. Really? Yeah. I mean, the the numbers are, are pretty great. He's shooting 58% from the floor. I think he's like, the raw numbers aren't as good as they have been in years past, but <laughs> he's like... Not, he's not... He, he don't got a great case on my all-star the, team. The Pacers are garbage, so it's, it's also tough. I mean, that is probably something we should also talk about here. The Hawks are eight games back of the Bulls, seven and a half games back of the Nets. So, um, you know not really contributing to winning. So I could see where you'd want to go with a Levine or Harden, but I think we all agree. Trey Young, let's go to the West here. Uh, two two primary spots of disagreement. We all have Steph in the backcourt, Nikola Jokic and LeBron James in the front court. Let's start in the backcourt where Rob, once again, is a fucking sap. Um, just going for the Guilty. emotional favorite here. Waz and I have John Morant. You have Chris Paul. Would you like to defend yourself? I knew Rob, I knew Rob was going to do that, by the way. I, I will it. just say that I think I brought I up Chris Paul's MVP candidacy earlier in the year, and people were like, "Oh, he doesn't score. He doesn't have enough assists or points or whatever." And uh, here we are. I don't think it's poo-pooing his MVP candidacy so much as you have to find room for Giannis and Joel and KD and LeBron and Yoke. Like, it, there's just a lot of guys sure. this year. But sure. let me let me flip the question: Do either of you think John Morant is a better basketball player right now than Chris Paul? Oh, that's such a loaded question. Seems pretty simple to me. <sighs> I mean, I guess the question is, is he, he contribute to winning more than Chris Paul? That would be the purpose of the game. So I think I'd rather John Moran in a playoff series. I'll say that. You'd rather have John Moran in a playoff series? I'd rather series. have John Moran in a playoff series, yeah. As far as, like, I right, beat the dude in front of you, which they force you to do in the playoffs, I'd probably rather have John Moran. Let me ask, let me throw a question back to you. Do you yeah. think that Chris Paul would be as uh, no? I was going to say as good on the Grizzlies, but what about on a, on just like a bare minimum team? Let's say the Magic. Do you think Chris Paul would be better or John Morant? Oh no, no, Jaw is absolutely better at taking a bad team into mediocrity, at taking an yeah. underwhelming team into being pretty good, and in this case, taking a pretty balanced and deep Grizzlies team to being one of the better teams in the Western you Conference. Don't think I think the Suns would be better with John Morant than Chris Paul. No. No, I do not. That's interesting. <sighs> I think tough. the reason that ecosystem works is because of Chris Paul. Every hallmark of how the Suns play is a hallmark of a Chris Paul team. I don't think that's by accident. And when you're talking about juggling all of these guys needing the ball, keeping Aiton invested, making sure Booker is getting into his spots without overstretching, all that stuff is Chris Paul stuff to me. I, I think he's been awesome this season. Yes. And I, I get the John Morant case. I, I don't want to. I don't want to discount it too much. But there is a thing going on with him, too, where I don't want to count the fact that the Grizzlies won without him against him. But in the but games you want to that he, count no, no, against him? No, in the <laughs> games that he has played, which are the only games I really care about, the games that he has played, the Grizzlies have won at a, a slightly lower clip than the Mavs with Luka Doncic, for example, or the, the Jazz with Donovan Mitchell, even after their massive landslide. I don't know. Like, I think the Grizzlies are a pretty good team. I think part of the reason for that is they're super deep. 
And, and Jaws driving a lot of that and making the pieces work and making everything fit in and protecting guys from overstretching their particular roles. I just think Chris Paul's better at so much of that stuff. And I think the fact that he doesn't put up a lot of points per game makes it easy to discount what he's giving up and what he's doing in terms of managing that team at a higher level. I, I put a lot of value in that. I'm going to get really technical here. John Moran's dropping 40, dunking on fool's heads. <laughs> He's been a supernova. Uh, like, this is breakout. Like, to me, this is when he becomes, he, he basically monopolizes this all-star spot this season in the way that we've seen guys in the past do the same thing, whether it be the Stephs, the Russes, the Chris Pauls, like, you know, keeping guys like Tony Parker and Mike Conley out of that starting guard position, right? Like, I think John Morant has done that this year, and that's why I'm putting him in there. Obviously, you know, I think the cool thing about Chris Paul, too, is, like, he's doing this, like, fourth quarter <laughs> takeover stuff where, yep. like, during the course of the game, he's like, yeah, 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 do your continuity. Fourth quarter comes, give me the fucking ball. I'm making sure we get a great shot every single possession because of what I'm doing on the ball. Like, so it's been dope to watch him just do it again this season. I just think John Moran's been special, man. Just And, you know, eye test, just watching him, he just looks different. Um, he just looks like guys can't do a single thing with him when he's on his game. And so, I mean, for me, it's, it's John Morant. Yeah. The best argument for Chris Paul is an argument you could easily turn against him where he professionalizes an already decent situation. But does he need those other players at this point of his career in order to bring a team like the Suns to the top of the West? Whereas is John Morant just like, is he a type of guy you build around from day one and you build pieces to complement him? I think all of that's true, yeah. but I think the Suns are 37 and nine and their team is good, but it's not like this is a team with three, four superstars on it. Like I think ultimately where, where the distinction happens is I think Devin Booker is a good player, like a, an all-star probably going to be a borderline wild card type type addition for this season. If you think he's better than that, then you probably don't think Chris Paul is as good as I do. I think Chris Paul is what's elevating that whole situation. I think he's what's carrying it, but Regardless of where you come down, both of these guys are locks. Both of these guys are absolute stone-cold locks to make the all-star team. Yep. Who starts is whatever. Both but really deserving of it, too. Man. 100%. I would say that Bridges and Aiton are also really good, although uh, the really Suns record with Biombo manning the Aiton spot and JaVale McGee, uh, I believe they're like 8-0 with the, the combined duo instead of Aiton, the number one overall pick. Probably. Not good for the old contract negotiation <laughs> yeah. talk, is and, it? And another we are going to put Paul's. we are going to put those bullet points on the Chris Paul propaganda fact sheet though. So thank you, Justin. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other spot that we disagree on, uh, Rob and I have Rudy Gobert, while you have Anthony Davis. Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, honestly, like, because All Stars a lot like is different for me than All NBA, right? Um, which I think it, it is about the work you put in, the output, and all of that for All Star. I'm fine with past performance, and I don't think Rudy Gobert is better than AD. And if AD's alive and ready to play in the All-Star game, even though he's missed a lot of games, that's my starter. And no disrespect to Rudy. I know Utah fans are going to come at me and all of that. I don't need the actual minutes logged for All-Star. Be available. Be reasonably close to the All-NBA, All-Star, obviously, Finals MVP level type of guy that you've been in your career. 
and you're my starter. Sorry, Rudy. Yeah, you're done. Sorry. <laughs> I, I want to ask you about that All-NBA, All-Star distinction because a lot of voters feel this way. Why, why are they different? Because to me, it's, it's the same thing. You're picking the players who have been the best this season at different stages. I don't know why you would vote on different criteria for those two things. Because the, because the All-Star game is so... Flu like, the, the circumstances are so fluky. It's like 40-something games into the season. So many fluky things could have happened, right, in that short span. Because it's such a way smaller sample size, I'm like, look, I'm fine with past performance. I'm fine with an understanding. Like, no, AD's still a freaking All-Star. Whether he put the numbers in to begin the season or not, He's an all-star to me, um, and he's a starter at that. He's that level of player to me. All-NBA, like, we got the whole season, you know, and we can go off of that. That's fine because that's a full body of the season. That's a full sample of the season rather than, you know, we're trying to pick between somebody who played 25 games and somebody who played 32. It's like at a certain point, I got to just start going with my instinct, and instinctually, I think... Rudy is not as good a player as Anthony Davis is. I think it's more of a slight difference for me, and it's driven by the fact that we have to split this up by conferences and, mm. and the fact that there are so many more spots. And so you're almost like trying to maneuver things in order to get deserving players on at the bottom of the list instead of just like really reach in order to like get into the DeJounte Murray, Andrew Wiggins sort of category, whoa, whoa, just purely whoa. because you need to fit guys whoa. into spots. Yeah. Oh, I actually have DeJounte Murray in right now, but we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But yeah. Like, I, think, I think he's, yeah. he's got a pretty credible case this season. DeJounte Murray does. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. There's just so many spots. And I think the West this year is messed up by like injuries, COVID. Like it's obvious who the best players are, but they, they haven't put it on tape. Well, even just in the front court, just to fill out your total ballot, starters and reserves, you're pretty much going to have to pick somebody who's played less than 1,000 minutes to this point, less than 900. It's either going to be AD or Paul George, or I think if you want to take a look at DeAndre Ayton, I was looking at him, looking at Chris Dapps Porzingis. I think all those guys have cases. None of them have played a ton. <laughs> yeah, 80s played 28 games at this point. That's why I don't even have him on my entire ballot at this point. Um, well, one, other, having, one other AD thing, let me mention. I, yeah. I looked at all of the all-in-one catch-all value metrics for this season, sorted all the, the valid front court candidates I could think of. Would you like to guess how many of those metrics AD fell in the bottom three in? It was all of them. Every single mm. one relative mm. to that that group of play, you know, we're talking Jokic, Gobert, yeah. Carl Towns, LeBron, Facts. all the guys you would expect. He's just not playing at the level of any of those guys. And not even them, but the the Porzingis's and the Aitons. He's not producing so far this season at that level. But as Waz was saying, if you're if you're taking past performance into an into account, AD's great. Great player. I mean, like, it's not like he's 38. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he's still. In yeah. his physical prime, right? Like, so to me, he's still that guy is what I'm saying. You know, it's not like, you know, John Wall, right? Saying like, no, off past performance, John Wall is still good. Like, nah. Like, AD is still obviously physically still there um, if he hasn't put it on paper this year. And the Lakers are better defensively with him on the court, even though it is totally. Like you know, they're top 10 level, not necessarily top one or top two. And like offensively, if you want to compare him directly to Gobert, 
Davis gives you more offensively, obviously, than Gobert. So I could see it, but I actually didn't have him even in my reserves because of the, the games played. But we'll get to that next week, my friends. Uh, we'll save that debate for another time. Um, that is it for us this week, though. Uh, thank you to Isaiah Blakely on Productions. We'll be back same time, same place.